Hello, welcome to episode three of the Hamilton Review of Books podcast. I'm Alex Kerner, your host. Today, we are lucky to have graphic novelist Joe Ullman as our guest. In addition to being one of the friendly faces that staff Epic Books in Hamilton, Joe is an award-winning graphic novelist. Joe grew up near Hamilton. He self-published his first comic book series, Dirty Nails Comics, in the late 1980s, contributed cartoons to the Hamilton Spectator and Exclaim magazine in the 1990s, and then self-published an anthology called WAG in the early 1990s. He eventually had some short story collections, his third being This Will End Up in Tears, that won the Doug Wright Award for Best Book. More recently, he published a graphic biography of writer William Seabrook called The Abdominable Mr. Seabrook. And this year, 2021, he published Fictional Father that was put out by Drawn and Quarterly and became the first graphic novelist ever shortlisted for the Governor General Award for Fiction. On today's episode, we will be talking about comics and graphic storytelling, and in our second half, we will have a discussion about Philip Gerard's new graphic biography of Leonard Cohen, On a Wire. Hi, Joe. How's it going? That's going good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, before we start talking about graphic novels and comics, uh, a completely uh, non-book related icebreaker. Have you watched uh, Don't Look Up yet? <laughs> yeah, we watched it last night. And um, I mean, I, I, I think I'm at the stage of my life where um, I just have no critical sense. I like everything. So uh, so I, I, I thought it was enjoyable. At the end, I was like, I didn't see what everybody was so enraged about. I guess I, I thought it was, I thought it was well done. It was amusing. I liked it a lot, and I think um, I know film Twitter seems to have been quite critical of it. But it appeared most of my friends on Facebook seem to have really liked it. It's like it's not a perfect movie, but um, it's definitely getting huge buzz. And we're talking about climate change, and I think that's good. It's, I think it's the number one thing on Netflix right now, and. Everyone I know has taught, you know, I talked to my mom this morning, even she saw it. So it's, uh, so clearly it's, uh, it's reaching all sorts of corners of the world. But yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to watch uh, um, Twitter, which is not the real world at all, <laughs> you know, get into fights about it. It's amazing. Well, I feel like Twitter, like even people I admire on Twitter become monster people. Like it's, uh, it brings out the absolute worst in everyone. So I kind of, uh, I don't get I never get involved in any fights on it. I just stay out of everything. I watch it and I feel kind of dirty after I come out from it. There. Yeah. yeah. I I try to like once in a while I'll post something snarky, but what I did was I disabled notifications okay. for for anyone who's not following me or who I don't follow. Okay. And so that means that you know I can just make a comment and then like leave and not worry about it and I think that helps me uh not get caught up in some of the drama that happens with that. But anyways, I like the film i think it's a good film i thought leonardo dicaprio was great in it he was excellent yeah yeah and he gets better with age which is is pretty impressive i think yeah it's Uh, true and definitely against uh type for him right it's uh, for sure yeah this midwestern (laughs) academic was uh, yeah was definitely good. Um, okay, let's talk about comics and stuff like that because this is a book podcast. I've already given a bit of an introduction for our listeners. So you've obviously been doing this uh, for a while. Uh, what drew you to uh, to comics and, and graphic novels? And like, what were the kinds of influences you had growing up? I uh, I guess I I've been doing this for over thirty five or thirty six years, like professionally, like published. So. Um, so I'm an old guy. Um, but I think I've always been in, I, I love comics and I always drew comics. Um, so I think it was about the age of nine, like up until that point, I read mad and I read Archie comics, but no superhero stuff. And then I was, I remember the day I was sitting in the car. My mom was buying material at a store, a sewing store. And I was sitting in the car with my dad and I said, can I have some money to go to the store? And he sent me off with a buck to the store and I bought the Spider-Man comic. I just randomly bought that. I came back to the car and I read it through and I was like in another world transformed. And, and then I went back with the rest of the money and bought, th- you know, two more comics immediately. I spent all of it and, and that they were 30 cents then or whatever. Uh, yeah. Anyway. And from that moment on, every, every 
aspect of my life revolved around comics and it's never gone away. It's one of those things. Well, it went away briefly, I think, like, because superhero comics lost their luster for me. I didn't really care about them anymore when I was in my 20s. Uh, I kind of I gave up on them. I would buy them once in a while out of nostalgia, but no interest. Um, and But then I discovered, like, um, alternative comics, like Dan Klaus when he came out with 8-Ball. Uh, and I just happened to be in a comic store, and they, and they happened to have that. And it was, again, it was that equally mind-blowing, like, oh, I didn't know that, that 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 existed. Once in a while, you would get an underground or something. Yeah. You know, you'd see Crumb or whatever, uh, some of the old undergrounds, and you knew that people were doing other stuff, but I didn't follow it actively. So 8-Ball was a big eye-opener, and then I just started going to Toronto, to the Beguiling uh, because the comic stores in Hamilton didn't have a lot of that alternative stuff. They had superhero stuff. So I would go I would go to The Beguiling and I'd spend a ton of money and I'd come back with all these like Julie Doucette and, and uh, Seth and uh, Peter Bagg and the, the Chris Ware and the Hernandez brothers and all of, the, all of those. And um, and then you just kind of saw what what you could do with comics and that interested me. I was an adult, so I was oh, like, oh, yeah. this is what I want to do. And that's what I, so I just started making comics about, you know, weird things like, uh, like life things, but also because I was trying to do superhero comics. I, I, I have, I published several issues of a superhero, my version of a superhero comic. Oh, they're, it's terrible. It's called Dirty Nails Comics. And there was a story, like a science fiction, dystopic science fiction story about a, a helmet that could do mind control. And it's it, it's, it would, it's it, mentioned it on your paranoid. wiki page, by the way. And I do mention it in your intro. So. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. I, I have copies of it somewhere here. Like, they're terrible. It was during the 80s when everybody was self-publishing black and white uh, comics. Uh, so I did two issues and then went bankrupt on that. because I can imagine. The, the shipping yeah. and the brokerage fees did you me. like yeah, uh, when you were even younger were you a comic strip kind of person like read the the funnies every weekend and stuff like that yeah was there any like yeah. i know you talk about yeah. it in your in uh, fictional father some of the the whole story about uh, mm. dennis the menace and his father being not a very nice person to his son when his son went off the yeah. rails but uh, were, yeah. were there anything that uh that influenced you like of those kinds of uh, uh schultz i mean charles schultz like peanuts was like always for me like i still like when fantagraphics published that complete peanuts it was like it was my life long dream fulfilled like i wanted them in matching volumes to put on a shelf and uh so when they did that and seth designed them it was amazing so uh i still i can read those and enjoy them immensely i read i read okay. the comics every day i get the newspaper i'm a weird old guy so i read the comics every day and i'm kind of just like ugh. once in a while because you know i have that disassociation where i i think i'm reading on a computer so i if something's good in the newspaper comic yeah, i go okay, to click nice. like on it you <laughs> you know, on the paper because uh anyway but uh it's very rare uh but but i still love to read charlie brown i always it always it's a perfect comic to me it's genuinely funny um i'm a little i'm a little younger than you yeah, so sorry. when i was like obviously i'm nowhere close in terms of the level of passion you developed for this but when i was uh of that age when you're reading the comic strips the big ones were the far side and uh calvin and Hobbes, and mm -hmm. so those were like the most influential i guess for myself growing up and i when they released that that big hardcover calvin and Hobbes, every single cartoon strip and that was fascinating just to hear how he kind of pushed uh the newspapers to change what kind of format the size of the the boxes and things like that uh when he wanted to make things that were a little more unorthodox and the far side just growing up was hilarious and uh, and that was interesting because those both uh, larson and uh, uh is it bill watterson is that his bill name? Watterson, yep, yep, yeah yep. They, they both like quit on their own terms and then just yeah. pretty much disappeared from the public conscious i don't think they're are they even syndicated I, I don't think so uh no neither of them are uh the the books are in in you know compendium reprints and they they sell well but um they i think they made enough money and they just kind of retired to live a simple life i know gary larson retired he did an album cover for a jazz musician to so it traded it for him to teach him to play the clarinet i think it was and uh, that was when he, that was about when he retired. And, and um, I think he just retired because he didn't want it to get uh, boring. 
and and then he did a kind of a comeback just a few years ago, like maybe last year or two years ago. An online kind of some okay. new material. You know, I've been yeah. seeing some new stuff, and yeah. I was wondering if it was just older material or if he's uh, done a few new things. Yeah, he's doing, I, I just. If you're a creative like that, I just don't know how you shut down, right? You often see creatives mm. have problems shutting down, right? Because yeah, they yeah. have too many ideas in their head. It, it could be, you know, it's that the, the pace of doing a daily or a, it's 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 very taxing. Like I, I did, I've only had experience with doing a weekly comic strip. I did that for five years and then I did a monthly comic strip for five years. And even that uh, is taxing to come up with fresh material. So I think it's pressure, probably. You're being watched very closely, and uh, yeah, it would just be a lot of pressure. And probably, I, I really like that in in fictional father when the the son is trying to fill in for his father and and his the amount of work necessary to just produce like a handful of strips for a few mm. weeks right was just amazing yeah. and so it's uh so i really got that so yeah i can understand that at some point it's just too much and you need a break and, yeah. and living that lifestyle isn't good so you like superhero comics what do you think of the whole mcu universe the cinematic uh-huh. attempts to uh, portray them it's interesting uh, i think um if you had told me when i was like 12 or 13 that this would be happening i would have died i would have died and i would have been like oh my god like that was my fantasy like the the only thing there was was like the hulk and 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 the spider-man tv show and they were dreadful they were they were very bad and i remember yeah yeah. uh so i have like mixed feelings about them because it's like i mean in 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 one way i i feel like they're horrible you know grotesque uh celebrations of uh militarism and uh and just like yeah. vigilanteism and 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 all of that uh and then the other part of me is my i have a kid you know and he's uh he's like 16 and he grew up with them like when we watched the the movie where iron man dies he was like he at the mo- at the end of the movie i go that was a bloated piece of shit in my mind but he was like and he was like devastated. he was like wiping tears out of his eyes he goes that was a real tearjerker i mean so for him his hero dying it meant a lot to him yeah, so i, I see imagine, i see yeah. it from both sides like i mean i do think it's unfortunate that they're taking over the the movies like it's kind of Yes, no, for I, sure. Right? There's no room for anywhere yeah. else. So you saw that recently West Side Story bombed yeah. and everyone thought it yeah. was going to be a yeah. hit. And then Spider-Man yeah. a week later makes what a billion yeah. dollars already yeah. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. And uh, yeah, there's all that. I mean, Scorsese is drawn into the controversy because he's saying they're not cinema. And then all the Marvel people are like, oh, you can't say that. And I'm like, it's, a, it's a waste of energy. Like, all right, like, it's just two different things. And I just wish it wouldn't take over that the other kind of cinema like i mean i think there's a place for that that kind of crap you know but you know they're so and i i'm worried post covid with these cinemas trying to survive that they're very much going to reserve as many screens as possible for the ones they know will sell out like the mid-budget film doesn't exist anymore i know it's either these big bloated things or well it's interesting it's like it's the marketplace directs everything and it was i heard the guy who started netflix talking on cbc and the tom powers guy asked him the first question is so you're, you're a big movies guy and he goes not really no uh, i just wanted to have some, a business online and it was selling sending dvds in the mail now this guy yeah. has a, changed entirely how movies are produced and released and 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 distributed right like he's entirely changed the whole movie industry and he doesn't even give a shit about movies it's to him it's like he could be selling potatoes he could be selling it seems wrong to me that 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 he has that much you know control over the industry but and then on the other hand, Netflix takes more chances and gives yeah. money to people like Guillermo del yeah. Toro to do like these creative, like he's doing a Pinocchio mm-hmm. project Stop and motion, del Toro yeah. commented. Yeah. yeah. And del Toro commented is like, no other studio would have ever funded me. So he'd like, but you know, he understands also the contradictions and, and what it means to move the cinematic experience into the living room. And mm-hmm. it's not exactly the same, right? It's not, um, yeah. In terms of comics, did yeah. you uh, read it? Was it in the early 2000s, Michael Shabon's book? The, oh, the Amazing yes. Adventures oh. of Kathleen? Yeah. Great book. At, yeah. the, at the bookstore, that Jamie, the owner of the bookstore that I work at, Epic Books, uh, that's one of her favorite books. And it's one of my favorite books of all time. So we, we always have that 
in the store and we always sell it because we love it so like yeah it's so brilliant uh yeah i love shaibon no and i like him and I, he's someone fun to follow he's on twitter as much but he's on instagram oh, okay. and he's a very like fun personality yeah. and i wish he he hasn't i guess I, I like most of his books i think i i really love the yiddish uh policeman yeah Zunia. yeah that was fantastic uh, yeah so okay so then when did you start taking things like in terms of graphic novels a little more seriously well yeah just like when i when i discovered them you know i was doing uh i was doing a daily uh, a weekly strip in the hamilton spectator in their art section so i that was my entire output was that and i made these little like zines and stuff at the same time these little perfect bound books uh of just any kind of comics and writing that i did uh but i didn't have time to do uh graphic novels per se i was doing strips and i and i, I like i said i did five years of a weekly and five years of a monthly so uh i didn't have time to work on them so i started really late um my first book didn't come out until i think 2001 and uh i'd already been making comics for a long time but um i hadn't done a proper graphic novel and my first two books were were just uh they were compilations of of short pieces uh, uh, uh so uh, chewing on tinfoil was my first book and then this will all end in tears and they were they were short story collections uh, graphic novel short story collections we don't know what the word is for for short story collections in a gra <laughs> yeah how, how do you how do you find uh, doing short stories versus longer ones which do you prefer in terms of as a storytelling medium it's it's you know it's i i realize i i what i think is the most important for any artist in any medium anything you're doing is to do don't calculate don't think of your audience don't calculate the the reception just do what you feel like at that moment and that'll that'll be the most sincere work and i think i think sincerity is the most important thing like i find i look at some comics that are some people would think they were really cheesy and bad but the sincerity in them is so real that you can feel that person's belief in the work and 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 i and i love it it's just so so wonderful to read that kind of sincerity in in anything but um so i didn't start doing uh what was the the insomniac press which was like a they they uh they published uh, poetry and 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 uh you know novels and um and they approached me because they wanted to do everybody was talking about graphic novels around then 2000 and and uh so is there a reason why why well there was uh i think uh you know mouse had come out and won the pulitzer and graphic novels were starting to sell in like drawn and quarterly he was releasing books that were getting um they were getting reviewed in like the the New York times and stuff. So it was like, there was a million stories like pow zap comics aren't for kids anymore. And that was like, um, they were like, this guy's done a comic about the Holocaust with mice. And, and everybody's like, Oh my God. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I think actually mouse is the first ever graphic novel I ever read. Yeah, Same thing. Probably yeah. read it towards the, that period of time when it came out. That's yeah. it. It's like, it was like the gateway for a lot of people because they're like, well, the people are surprised, uh, you know, it's it, so they would, they would, I do, there's still a lot of resistance to graphic novels from people. I see parents won't let their kids, they go, you have to buy a real book. And, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, let them buy what they want. Like, what is, what does it matter? Yeah. Uh, but, and also like, there's just a, you know, there's a resistance. Like I'll, if I'm recommending books in the store, like they'll say, my, my brother-in-law likes this and I'll go, well, I'll recommend a couple of prose books. And then I'll go, and there's also these graphic novels. Like, Oh no, no, no. Like, it's just like, Oh no, no. So I just try and slip it in there whenever I can. Um, but yeah, so it was around that time they wanted to, uh, publish a graphic novel. They knew my work from exclaim magazine where I had a strip in there. And so they approached me and in like seven months I did a, I, I wrote and drew like the whole book and, you know, designed it and scanned it and, and, uh, put it out there. Yeah. So I had, I, they gave me a deadline and I just did it. I was working full time as an art director at the time. And uh, I just worked every night. Like just, I just sat there and chain smoked and uh, I still smoked in those days and, uh, just worked like crazy there. So, so one of the books of yours I picked up was this happy stories about well-adjusted people. And I think this is a compilation of older ones, yeah. right? 
were any of those featured in the in that original short story collection? Yeah, they're they're parts. The, the, that Happy Stories is like a best of compilation of those two books, yeah. the first two books. So I'm at that stage of my career where I, I'm close to death, I guess. So they published best of compilations of your work, right? So, <laughs> so, so that's where that's where I'm at. Uh, but there's two new stories in there because I felt it would be a ripoff to just. Uh, we I recolored them and I changed a lot of the artwork because I used to draw people with gigantic heads. So I I just made their heads smaller in some instances and I fixed the lettering and I made it. I know I read the. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. I remember I remember Seth when what was his latest one? The one that got um, oh, uh, um, long listed for the Giller the Clyde fans. And I think he commented that he wrote it over like many, 20 many years. years. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and so like the style differences yeah. are significant. Yeah. And so I found that it's fascinating actually to mm -hmm. see that because you see the development of someone's artistic skill. Yeah. In and I'm sure by the end of it, the the creator is like, oh, I hate what this looked like 20 years ago. Yeah. But for the reader, you're you have an uh, appreciation for for what's developed. Yeah, I, th I found that fascinating looking at that book because uh, it's a subtle shift, but th there is a shift, and you see it. And he. Did did redraw some of it but but overall he just surrendered to it and at a certain point you have to do that yeah that's a great that's a great book yeah no for sure yeah no. and i loved your your short stories too the ones that are collected here everyone or not everyone but almost everyone is uh quite lonely and uh, i'm not sure if that's something you you have going in a lot of your characters here is like mm -hmm. people even if they're they have some family or friends they're very insular or alienated from their closest uh connections is there a reason you're you're drawn to these kind of characters um i'm always drawn to sad works of art i i don't know why i like opera and i like depressing like i'm, I'm the joke in my bookstore is like if you want depressing uh, recommendations you come to joe that's yeah joe. so it's like that's that's i'm the go-to guy for that I'm I'm a huge fan of A Little Life, yes, which is yes. probably the most depressing yeah, you know, book I haven't in the world. That one. So I appreciate. It's, I started that. it and I was like, oh my god, this is yeah. this is heavy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, even for yeah, you, yeah. yeah. It's um so yeah um I'm drawn to that. Also, those two books, I was like just got divorced and I was going through a lot of stuff and um I realized looking back at those two books, like yeah, there was a lot of life happening around me at that time and. Uh, so I don't know. I, and, and sometimes those moments create good art. Right? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I, we've talked a lot about that in a lot of interviews because people ask me, like, do they, you think that suffering brings good art? And I, I don't think it necessarily does. I think it does, if you're in a certain place, uh, you're sensitive and you are uh, able to express, like, really deep, dark emotions and get them onto the paper somehow. And, uh, but I don't recommend it. It's certainly not, no comic book is worth it. Like, I mean, I'd rather have been happy all those years and not made <laughs> depressing good comics, you know? Uh, so, yeah. So tell us about this uh, this latest one, Fictional Father, which I, I did note in the in the introduction that it's the first ever graphic novel to uh, be shortlisted, I guess, for the Governor General Award. Um, if I recall, actually, one of the first conversations you and I ever had when I went into Epic Books was talking about Sabrina, uh, that book that was okay. the, uh, long listed for the Booker Prize. And there was some consternation yeah. about that because, you know, some people suggest, well, it's a different art form. It doesn't belong a lot you know and, and look it's impossible to compare any form of art but in some respects yeah yeah even just comparing like i've been on juries and i'm very bad at being on juries because i i just find the merits in 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 everything i'm i'm kind of drawn when i write reviews i don't review things that i don't really like i would prefer to review something that i that I enjoy and I and I would say what I liked about it. I don't want I don't like hatchet job reviews. I have never done them. I've I've I've, I've been critical of books, but I will also point out what I think was well done. Um but Sabrina, that's a brilliant brilliant It's play. amazing. It's yeah. a it is it is it is I it is fitting to go beside any prose novel and and it and then but it also does things that a prose novel cannot do. Like he, he is a he is Nick Junazzo is like uh, an otherworldly level of talent like uh, those both Beverly and, and Sabrina are utterly brilliant and he has a new one coming out uh, this uh, 
spring, I guess, with Jerona Quarterly. So I, I followed the Booker Prize and I try to read the, the entire long list. And I, in that oh, year, I guess it, it is because sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of They're clunkers daunting, yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that year, I guess, because I guess there was one graphic novelist on the jury and there was one mystery or crime author on the jury. And so I guess a bunch of publishers submitted books that they wouldn't traditionally put in and a book named mm-hmm. Snap was submitted. It was a crime novel. Uh, it was Val McDermott, who's a very well-known crime novelist, was the juror. And she actually blurbed that book. So it was kind of weird that it got in. And Snap was not good at all. And it was kind of disappointing because if, like, if you're going to put in a crime novel, which I'm completely comfortable, at least make it a good one, right? And then Sabrina, similar thing. There was a graphic novelist on the jury. And it was amazing and blew me away. And in terms of like the, just the stylistic um like just how everything this cold feeling in terms of the characters but totally fit the story and the the conspiracy theories that are you know choking everyone's lives there it was uh i'm looking forward so he has a new one coming out yeah i think it's called acting class if i'm not mistaken but i might be mistaken i'll definitely pick it up so let's get back to yours fictional father so what's the background well the background is uh it's uh, it's about a fictional cartoonist who has a comic strip called Sunnyside Up, which is a beloved comic strip about a father and son. The father owns a diner, and the son, and, and they have this great relationship. And it's really, it's this iconic strip, like some, similar to Peanuts or Family Circus, and people cut it out and hang it on their fridge and everything. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's this beloved guy who's like everybody's dad. That's what he's called, and um, he has a level of fame. He's very wealthy and. And he's famous for, you know, being everybody's dad. But in real life, he's a terrible person. He's kind of like, uh, he's a non-person, really. Like, there's nothing to him. Like, I realized that after doing the book, there's very little substance to him. He's not even, he's not even good at being mean. Like, he's just kind of not there at Indifferent, all. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's very not there. And so the kid grows up and with, like, it's, he has the problems of a rich kid. Like, he has uh, alcohol and drug issues and... Uh, and just trying to figure out what he's doing with his life. He's, he's, he's drawn to comics, but he's kind of in the shadow of his father. So he's pursuing like painting and he's kind of failing at painting. Um, and, and then I, I guess it doesn't matter to tell you that the father dies at some point. And, and, and I guess this, he's, they've always talked about him taking over the strip and it's actually in the will. And then he decides he shocks everybody by actually saying, yeah, it. I'd like yeah. to do it. And cause he, he puts out a, a drawing of the, the characters on Instagram and it gets such a reaction uh, in the uh, in the internet that he's he loves that he's never had so much attention to his art. So he he it's not his art, obviously it's his father's art, but uh, but he's drawn to that and he and he goes through. It actually he's a guy that doesn't do the work and never does follows through and never really does anything, but he actually does the work to try and make the strip and and then it just goes kind of disastrously and um, yeah. So that's kind of the the, the basis of the book. Now, I noticed this is the first one you, and I know we talked about this one uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's colorized. You've actually, uh, why did you decide to do that? I don't know. It's like one of those things like, um, I really, I listen to the, like, I've become very artsy fartsy in my old age. I really listen to the inner voice that tells me what to do. So I like, I, right from the beginning, I was like, this book's got to be in color. And, uh, and I'm like, you're colorblind, man, but how are you going to do this? <laughs> so uh, I've always had my, I have two daughters and they're in their thirties and, and I got married really young. And, uh, and so they were always there and, and, and to help me with coloring things. Cause I was like, I, I was a closeted colorblind person. I'm also colorblind. Art. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So okay. I was, but I was working as an art director and I was doing, <laughs> you know, color correction and, uh, and, uh, you know, doing press approvals for, you know, multi hundreds of thousands of dollars print runs and uh, about hiding the fact that I was colorblind all those years. So it was also kind of me just coming out and saying, I'm colorblind. I don't care anymore because I don't do any of that design work anymore. So um, but uh, so, yeah, I just listen to whatever my instincts tell me these days. So I did I did show I did colorize like 20 pages like on the computer and then I did uh, uh, the painted version, which I finally went with. I sent it to a bunch of cartoonists that I know and trust, and they almost all came back saying, you should just do whatever you want. But if you're asking my opinion, do the digital one. And it was like Seth came back and goes, he goes, I think you should do whatever you want, but 
paint it. And and Tom Devlin at Drawn Quarterly goes, he goes, paint it. Screw the digital. And I, and, and those were the ones I listened to because they were saying what I wanted to hear. So okay, I, good, knew, yeah. I knew I wanted to paint it. So I just used primary colors and then, you know, just using basic color theory, just did it. And, and you know, I cleaned it up a little bit in Photoshop after the fact. But um, So it's very meta in many respects because there's a lot of discussions about various cartoon strips yeah. uh that have i guess influenced you uh mm-hmm. and and the relationship that these artists often have with their children include especially when they have children characters as prominent parts of the cartoon strips why did you want to explore that kind of those kinds of questions inside your artistic community that's just because it interests me so much like um i love all the old comic strips and i love all the gossip about them and um i mean these guys mostly guys, because there, there wasn't a lot of women working at comics in those days. Um, it's interesting to me, like, their, uh, just how they differ from, from you know, their, their persona in the strip, which you, they're, they're never really them. But I mean, Dennis the Menace's father, you know, they have the same names as, uh, it's Hank, and he was Hank Ketchum. And uh, so they're obviously, they're avatars of them, but they're not really them. So, uh, you know, it's interesting, like uh, Bill Keen, uh, the family circus, and I talk about that in the book. He was he was uh, everything I've ever read about him. You know, he's this good church going guy with the heaven and all this stuff in his comics. But he was famous for telling for telling filthy, filthy jokes. That was like (laughs) that was like his his I've read that in so many different places. Like and I just I think that's hilarious. Like, I mean, it's it lends a bit of humanity to. which I, you know, I mean, I grew up loving the Family Circus, and and I and I grew, I, I grew to despise it because it's just so schmaltzy and terrible. But I grew to have an appreciation for it because Linda Berry, the great cartoonist Linda Berry, one of the the greatest cartoonists in the world, she talked about when she was growing up and in a kind of a rough childhood, and that reading Family Circus for her was this safe place, and she loved it, and she got to meet Bill Keen and. And her Jeffy, the son that took over the strip, actually put a character in that was Linda Berry in the in the comic <laughs> one day, and it was like it was her her dream come true. And so she still loves the strip to this day because it it it's it means so much to her for, as her childhood self, you know. So, uh, obviously, your book has received a lot of acclaim. You didn't win. I'm sorry, but you bro- <laughs> but you broke barriers, and I think that's important, right? I think the fact that people are becoming more comfortable to. Uh, discuss uh, graphic novels in the same conversation with with more traditional like prose. I think that's great, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the reasons I wanted to have you on uh, was to delve into this other area of reading that I think more people should do. I make an effort every year to read a couple of you know actually no I, I counted I read seven graphic novels this year uh, and it's a great medium like to like. Um, uh, to explore all sorts of things. I read the the Kent State uh, one. Did you mm, get that one? Yeah, it's by Durf. the guy who wrote... Uh, oh, what was his other one? He, he grew up with Jeffrey Dahmer, which I... Um, uh, Janet from uh, the um, City in the City of Bookstore yeah. lent it to me after I read Kent State and loved. Okay. And I was uh, somewhat disappointed with my friend Dahmer because obviously mm. he's not the cause of what Dahmer became, but they were mean mm. to him. They were sure and mean, it, yeah. Yeah, it, and it was like, these are not like you know i guess good for you for being honest about how you treated this like this awkward individual in high yeah. school but man I, it's like it made me feel uncomfortable at times it's pretty brutal but it is incredibly honest like everyone reimagines their their childhood as like if they were the the friend of the underdog but if we went back in reality and revisited our childhoods that would not be the way so i think i yeah. admire the the okay. the honesty of that like to me that's it's very unflattering for him but super honest like he could have just said i was good friends with jeffrey Dahmer, and i tried yeah, to no, reform him you know it's like yeah no yeah i guess so yeah, yeah <laughs> at least it's yeah. honest and that's unfortunately the reality sometimes yeah in, in yeah. high school situations for sure um, is yeah. there any uh, artist uh graphic novelist that you would like if someone's trying to figure out a place to start want to pick up a graphic novel besides your own uh is there any that you would point to that you think is a good starting point well, yeah, I would say like like you you mentioned Nick Drasno like uh uh so like uh Beverly is a great one. I think Chris Ware like Jimmy Corrigan the smartest boy in the world is a is a is a great piece. Uh Seth's book um uh it's a good life if you don't weaken. I think is a is a great 
works as a great, I mean, it was originally in, in, you know, little pamphlet form, but he collected it in a, in a book form and it, and it's a perfect graphic novel. Um, Alison Bechdel, uh, fun home. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and her recent one, um, the secret to my superhuman strength and are you my mother? All of them are excellent. And they're, they read like a novel. They're, they're very layered. They're very, um, they're very smartly written. Like she's, she's incredibly smart and they're funny as hell as well. Um, uh, Julie Doucette, um, uh, New York diary. And, uh, she has a new book coming out. It's her first comic coming out in, in many, many years. And that's exciting. Um, another one that people don't know about is a British cartoonist, Posey Simmons. Um, and she writes amazing literary comics. A lot of her books have been made into films like, uh, Tamara Drew and, uh, Gemma Bovary, that's the other one. And then, she, yeah, and she's a beautiful, like, brilliant uh, illustrator. Like, a, she does, like, pencil and then paints over them. And and then they read, like, novels as well. Really, I mean, she's gigantic in the UK, but less less known over here. Yeah, I wish she, I wish she was more widely read because she's fantastic. Um, yeah, so all of those, I think, are, are really good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be including all okay. those in the show notes. So people, so link, so people can hopefully find them. So at this point I say, let's take a little break. Yeah. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the new graphic biography of Leonard Cohen. Today, the book that we are talking about is uh, Philip Gerard's new graphic biography of uh, Leonard Cohen. It's uh, called Leonard Cohen on a Wire. So, um, are you a big Leonard Cohen fan? I am, yeah. I've always been. Um, he was like one of the, the reasons I wanted to move to Montreal. Uh, just his music evoked that city and... and uh, so yeah, and then when I lived in Montreal, I actually saw him once. I was in a cafe writing and sitting in the front window, and he walked by, and there's this, this beautiful girl has her arm around him, and, he, and they're both of course, l- yeah. chuckling, ha ha. And I ran outside, and and he was like, he was gone. It was like he disappeared. Uh, so that was my. And then I, a friend saw him coming out of a, a store called Masquerade, which sold. It sold like Venetian masks and they had a paper bag and he was with a beautiful girl again and they were carrying a paper bag of masks. So, yeah. Well, if there's any theme that you get out of this uh, graphic novel is that he slept with everybody. Uh, He definitely uh, was an attractive individual. Uh, So for me, uh, like my, I remember so many road trips. I guess my dad must have had a tape of... um, Uh, I'm your man. And so we would just listen to it over and over again. And it's such a fantastic album. And I know uh, a couple of my friends mock that it's a bit cheesy with uh, the the synths and and whatnot. But it was also like kudos to someone to really take a chance and explore the kinds of musical trends that are going out there. And it's like, I find it to be just as good as as anything else he and probably better than some of the stuff that comes later. But in terms of the, the songs that come out of that album uh they're for me they're very special i unfortunately never got to see him live my my parents did take my sister at one point i guess he was doing the the, the tour after that when he went bankrupt and it was interesting to see that covered in the novel the uh the closing time i guess was the the album where he won all those junos as well uh but uh unfortunately i never got to i have another good friend that saw him it must have been in the mid 2000s in Manhattan. They went to see him, uh, and so, anyways, it's a shame, but definitely an influence in my life. I'm um, musically, uh, I am into electronic music. I DJed for a long time. It's very like techno, not at all like Leonard Cohen. But there's a really big uh, Belgium um, DJ. Her name is Charlotte Dewitt, and I remember seeing an interview with her, and she plays like dark industrial music, and they were asking her what. Her her musical influences are and she was like when I was growing up my parents played so long Marianne all the time and it's definitely one of my favorite songs so it's really interesting to see how Cohen has touched all sorts of musical uh, uh, personalities even those who play very different kinds of styles as his um, so yeah so that's it there seems to be a bit of a rediscovering of him did you see the Netflix uh, series yet the one the one with Marianne like mm. 
Yeah, I watched that. And it was like uh, watching that was like very upsetting. Like the kids, I, I just felt bad. Like it's always the kids around like wealthy people or rock star people or artists. Sometimes the kids get so left to their own devices. And and there were so many messed up kids on that island in Greece. Like it was it was upsetting to, to see, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it was I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, Broomfield is an interesting documentary filmmaker. I didn't realize that that was his film until I started watching it. And he's a character okay. in it because he was like, I guess he was involved with Marianne at some point. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, I found it really interesting. And I, I really loved that uh, that they towards the end when she was dying and he was messaging her and, and you know, basically saying, I'll, I'll be joining you soon. You know, and it was it was kind of touching that that they you know they 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 were split but they they still they could look that back connection, and, yeah. yeah and that connection was there and, and they could remember that part of their life without any kind of animosity or anything it's kind of nice to see um obviously this novel uh, is is framed from um cohen on i guess he falls and this is the fall that ends yeah. his life uh cohen died the same week that trump got elected um yeah. and i remember it was like such a like devastating week and you feel sick yeah. to your stomach and it was like yeah. two days after trump uh is elected that they i guess cohen's estate announces that he died uh it appears that he died before trump was elected so at least he wasn't tortured oh, okay. by having to see that you didn't have to yeah. <laughs> didn't have to go through but that it with was us, just yeah. so much my uh, cousin remarked on my facebook wall that it was just it's too much in one week to go through yeah, that right it, so it's uh yeah that was a lot yeah um yeah it was it was very uh sad to hear that he was gone uh i i did get to see him in concert once in montreal at the forum uh and it was just after my dad had died and my dad was the exact same age as him. And, and I was depressed and I didn't want to go anywhere, but my wife made me go. She goes, we got these goddamn tickets and you're going, <laughs> it's Leonard Cohen. Yeah. You'll never get a chance to see him again. You're going. And I went and it was, it was otherworldly. It was like, like beyond belief. And he was, I think he was sick even then. And he was skinny as anything, but he was running around the stage and sliding on his knees. I was so afraid that he was going to get hurt. Uh, so yeah, it was amazing. I, I'm so glad that I did get And his last this. album. What was it called? Like make it darker. Do you want it? Yeah. Darker? I know it's like, you, you he, darker, he yeah. knew he was yeah. near the end. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to be able to like, bookend your career like that and your life. Yeah. Well, to like, like he says in the, and I fully quotes that in the book, like, uh, you've been preparing for this your whole life, you know, death. And that's a, you know, strong Buddhist tenant. Like you, you that's what life is about is preparing for the end. And so, uh, of course, when he says that, he goes, but I wish I had more time. Yes, of you know? course. It's like, it's, yeah, of course. Yeah. The universal sentiment about death. Um, so what did you think of the, of the book? I think Phil did a great job. Like I, I, it, it, um, it covers, you know, important events. Uh, I found out things I didn't know. Like I didn't know about Nico for the velvet underground that she was yeah, like, that a was racist that and a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. It was so horrible. It's just like, I said to my wife, we were listening to the velvet underground last night and I was like, shit, it really paints like feels different listening to Nico now. Like, you know, uh, so yeah, it's interesting. I never knew that. Um, the, um, the stuff with Phil Spector, I mean, he covers a lot of stuff that you you know about uh that but it's important to cover because not everybody knows all these things right um uh Phil, philippe did he told me we did an interview and it's, it's up on lit hub uh but it's interesting about the structure of the, the the book so he did all this research for months and then he said he didn't know where to begin he looked at all his notes and he goes so he goes i had at a certain point i had to decide what to use and what to leave so then i drew a star of david on a sheet of paper and I decided that each tip of the star would be dedicated to one decade in Leonard's life. So the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and the 2000s. And each decade, I would focus on one song, one object, and one woman. And so, of course, Leonard's death was in the middle of the star. So I'd start with the page about his death and then go to one decade and then back to his death, then one decade and come back to his death. So he had this, like, very elaborate uh, structure in mind when he was going in. So that was probably a, a, a good way to be able to just handle a whole person's life you know if you have that that structured because it's interesting i i, I mean i did a biography of a of like william seabrook and and you know i spent 10 years on that project so i spent five years like in the background researching and traveling and going to his archives and his wife's archives and that and and at the end of it you don't know what to do with it all you've got 
books full of notes and and you're not you don't know where to begin and what's the story I, you want to tell right well that's it and 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 people will say biography is like nonfiction. it's all fiction if you're it, it, even if you're trying to i uh in my book i tried to every word that he said was from one of his books or interviews or whatever the dialogue that i used was largely his words as quoted in in print uh but the the the, the secret truth of nonfiction is you it's you still direct the narrative by what you accentuate and what you suppress uh what you play down what you play up that's how you you're attaching meaning right yes yeah so so that's exactly so a different person with a different agenda uh would would accentuate you could make a villain look, you know, pretty good if you just show the good parts and play down the bad parts. So um, I tried to not like not have an agenda, um, but I don't know. Uh, and I think Philippe just loves like he grew up loving him. He's uh, like he said, the French Canadian people don't. It's, uh, he's not uh, Cohen was not a big deal there. Uh, not not as big a deal to the, the, the to the Quebecois, um, but it was to Philippe. So he. Uh, he he i think he did a good job like uh to me it's uh it's hard to do a uh, uh, a biography and i think the the structure helped a lot because it just simplified what he would put in what he would leave out and uh yeah i think he did a good job how did you come out feeling of leonard after that cuz i i i although i'm a fan of cohen mm. uh i didn't know as much about his not necessarily all the intricacies of both his love life and his financial yeah. you know I, I remember when he was in that monastery in the the 2000s and i recall yeah. when he was dating rebecca de mornay and you yeah, know, I remember I heard that rumbling <laughs> you know and it's funny a bunch of other things like when he i guess got cheated out by his agent yeah, i think but agent. i never like mm-hmm. paid enough attention to see mm. like uh so it was really great to see those kinds of like things that I had vaguely known about and then intertwined in terms of how it shaped his career and like how a lot Mm -hmm. of his work towards the end was shaped by financial necessity uh, that all his life work had been Mm -hmm. taken away from him. Right. And so, you know, he could have just drifted away, but he, you know, had no choice but to uh, plow ahead and keep on writing. Unlike, you know, these cartoonists who, (laughs) you know, have success and walk away. He was robbed that opportunity. No, I know. I think that kept him, uh, vibrant too right and and uh because he was forced to keep going um it's interesting because I, I when i lived in montreal i was art director at a yoga magazine uh which was run by an ashram out in bc so i was connected with a lot of like spiritual people and one of the guys that volunteered at the magazine and was later hired was a zen a kid and he lived at the zen center which was leonard cohen's house so Leonard would stay at the Zen Center and he would come in and tell us, we go, what did he do? What did he do? And he'd be like, he, he just meditated and then he drank some tea and he, he's very normal. He's just like a very good Buddhist. And like, uh, so yeah. And, and everyone that, that I knew in Montreal had stories of like, you know, working in a restaurant and him coming in and I never heard a bad thing about him. Um, uh, in, in the book, because Philippe loves him, the love comes through. He, he does put he does put some like, you know, his his performing in Israel and kind of like uh, how that is kind of like construed as like, you know, against the Palestinians. And uh, and, and, and and I was glad he put that in there. It should be, you know, you can't you can't whitewash over a person's life like uh, and, and I think the, the documentary, the Broomfield documentary was like, I mean, he's kind of one of those cold people that are like, baby, I only get involved to a certain point, you know, and, and other people like, but I think it always seems like he was very honest about that. But I think people in a relationship, they always think that they can, that people don't really mean that when they say that, that so a guy can be hard i mean i'm sure he left a lot of broken hearts behind no for sure and i think that you definitely saw a lot of those broken hearts especially like the i guess the the people who mothered his children too right it's like it created some uh, but he seemed to have maintained a good relationship with his kids yeah uh and so i think that's you know says something in terms of you know for someone who's had lots of relationship drama that he had some stability in that regards uh, mm-hmm. and they were looking out for him when you know people were, <laughs> were cheating him out of his fortune right um 
Is Philippe has he has he written other graphic novels? I'm not sure. Yeah, he's uh, he's a he's an old pro. Uh, I've known Philippe for a long time. We've like traveled together. We've been where have we been together? We've been in Helsinki. We were at a comics festival there, and uh, oh, and you know, like all in New York and everywhere. I think I've I've been in a was I in France with him? I can't remember. Um, anyway, uh, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, he's a. Uh, He's one of those like hardworking professional cartoonists, and he's a big socialist. Uh, okay, which yeah. I always love uh, that a good socialist cartoonist, and that comes no, out for in, sure, right? yeah. in his in, in his work. It comes out a lot, and um, uh, yeah. Uh, so he's he's an excellent cartoonist, and he's like he works hard. He's you know he, he's always got two projects on the go usually, and uh, yeah. So. Uh, he's, and he's a he's a lovely human being too. I always enjoy it. Well, this I I really enjoyed it, and I felt that I learned a lot in terms of of Cohen. And it's uh, I I need to go back and start listening to all his works. So, what's your favorite Leonard Cohen album or song? What are the songs that if you're gonna put something on, what's the one that you, you it, turn to first? It would be, it would be the 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 black and white cover with him in the mirror. What is it called? The songs of. So, songs from a room or songs okay, yeah, Cohen. Yeah. I think it's good song. Yeah, just the old like classic. Like, uh, I mean, I really love his soundtrack that he did for that Altman film, um, McCabe, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Okay, That's yeah, yeah, movie. and that was in the mid seventies. Yeah. So he yeah. did the soundtrack to that. Yeah, um, and and I I like I quite like the um, uh, the future is a great album. I always lamented like the cheesy kind of keyboards. Like it just sounded like they're playing a Casio keyboard. I guess they were maybe like. Um, but, uh, also now listen to that. It just feels like sincerity. He's like, I just want to get this down, you know? And, but I was like, get somebody in there with some good recording skills. And, and he would have had I mean, access to it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure people would have said, you're whatever you want. I mean, I like the, uh, the, it's a controversial record. The, uh, the one he did with Spectre. And I mean, Spectre's a monster and a murderer and a bad person, but, I just like his Christmas album. Like I've been listening to that over the last few weeks. It's a perfect record, and it's not him. It's the it's the performers. It's the Ronettes and everyone else that's on there. They, they like. I mean, yeah, he had a he was a good recording engineer or whatever. But I don't I don't even think of him as being part of that record. Like it's and the same as with Leonard Cohen, the record he did with him. A lot of people don't like it. It's very different. Which one is it? Like Which one the, did he do with? Them? Uh, death of Death of a Ladies okay. Man. That's the one. And I quite like it. It's uh, it's a strange. It's different than and, than his stuff. But Leonard was always experimenting and doing different things. I a lot of people didn't like the last album, like the um, yeah. I found it uh, pretty. You, dark, you want it darker, yeah. but I love the clarity of his voice, and it's so low that the timbre of his voice is so low, and it's the production values are beautiful on it. I like listening to it on headphones. It's like you know he's he's funny because his his voice changes so much in mm -hmm. his life yeah and and arguably yeah. objectively he's not the most like classically beautiful voice no but the no. but for some reason it just uh, it yeah. just works so well and and obviously he's a poet right and 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 the quality yeah, of that's his it it's his lyrics really yeah drive yeah. home yeah, well, yeah. why it, I think it connects yeah. with so many people including like obscured like, uh, Belgium DJs that love Yeah, well, that's it. And I mean, sometimes that influence, like I, you talked about that DJ, like it didn't influence her work, but it's it's weird what the influence cause can be. You could have a very strong influence by someone and it would never come out in, in your work, but it's it influences your thinking, I guess. But yeah, some of some of Cohen's lyrics, like, oh uh, uh, yeah, there's just like so amazing. Like they would stick in your head when I was a young man, like I could, I would quote them at length, you know, they're just so, so beautiful. No, for yeah. sure. He's wonderful. Okay. So I think that's, that's it in terms of time. I want to okay. really thank you, Joe, for uh, joining us and doing this conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to have discovered that you were this like amazing graphic novelist and I loved your, your work that I've read. And uh, thanks for having the, giving us the opportunity to also read this uh, Leonard Cohen graphic novel. So thanks a lot. Oh, thanks very much, Alex.